You're listening to the St John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Our reading today is from Acts chapter 25, verse 23, through to the end of verse uh, chapter 26. Paul before Agrippa. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officials and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner on to Rome without specifying the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defence. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defence against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I confronted to the conformed to the strictest section of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. 
We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see in me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus and then those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and, as as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defence. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with the governor and Bernice and those sitting with him, after they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What's the craziest thing that someone who you know believes? That the earth is flat? That aliens walk amongst us disguised as humans? That the moon landing was all faked? I reckon we've all got at least one friend who believes some pretty out there stuff. And if you don't know who it is, then maybe it's you. In fact, it could well be you. If you're a Christian, then core to your beliefs is that Jesus died on the cross on a Friday, was laid in a tomb where he lay dead all through Saturday, 
but on Sunday morning, his body was gone because he'd been raised from the dead. Every Sunday, we gather together as a weekly reminder of this truth. We say in our communion prayers, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. A dead man coming back to life is central to our beliefs. That's a pretty crazy thing to say, as you'll well know from conversations that you've had with your friends, perhaps. We can tell them about Jesus' wise teachings to guide our lives. Not a problem. We can say that Jesus died on the cross to deal with our sin. Well, no question he died. And if you want to interpret his death that way, that's fine. And we say, he also rose from the dead. His body was gone, the tomb was empty, and people saw him, touched him, and spoke to him. No, sorry, that's ridiculous. Dead people stay dead. That's a scientific fact, and you'd be mad to believe otherwise. And yet we do. It's a central plank of the Christian faith. Are we mad to believe this? Well, the accusation that this belief is crazy is not a new thing. It's not that people in the ancient world believed in resurrections, and so when people started proclaiming that Jesus was alive, people just nodded and agreed. Now, it was as radical a claim then as it is now. It isn't that we're now enlightened and understand things better, and so know that resurrections don't happen. They knew that too. Dead people stay dead. To believe otherwise was crazy talk. Well, we see exactly that in today's passage. As Paul faces another trial and brings his defence to a climax by speaking of the resurrection of Jesus, the response he gets is, You are out of your mind, Paul. Your studies have sent you mad. You can't possibly believe that nonsense. And yet the hope of resurrection is absolutely central to Paul's life and ministry. This whole trial is about the resurrection hope, a hope that has been fulfilled through the resurrection of Jesus. So let's look at it together. Grab your Bibles and turn to Acts 25, starting at verse 23. Paul faces another court hearing before yet another ruler. This time he's presenting his case before Agrippa. This man is known to history as Herod Agrippa II. He's one of the many Herods that are mentioned in the Bible. They're all related and so it's very confusing. So he's the great-grandson of Herod the Great who tried to kill baby Jesus and he's the son of Herod Agrippa who was the king of Judea and who in Acts chapter 12 dies quite suddenly, struck down by God. Now, Herod Agrippa II was only 17 when his father died, and so the Romans considered him too young to be the king of Judea. So Judea was brought under direct Roman rule, and Agrippa was made the king of a small northern kingdom in modern-day Lebanon. It was a much smaller responsibility. However, the Emperor Claudius did put him in charge of the temple at Jerusalem and also gave him the right to appoint the high priest. 
So that made him a very powerful and important figure for the Jewish religion. You get a sense of this with the the pomp and the ceremony of the occasion here in Acts 25. He's accompanied by his sister, Bernice, who was also rumoured to be his lover. We won't go there. There are high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. But when we get into the trial, we see that the focus of Paul's attention is Agrippa. That's who he's speaking to and that's who he's trying to convince. Paul starts by speaking about his lifelong hope in the resurrection. Uh, So Acts 26, verses 4 and 5. The Jewish people all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. Paul's calling on his public reputation as a very religious person. He's a strict Pharisee, which means that he had a firm belief in the resurrection from the dead. This was mainstream Jewish belief and strongly upheld by the Pharisees. However, it was believed that this resurrection would happen at the end of time. The present age would come to an end when God would act decisively for his people and he'd usher in the new age. And the resurrection of the dead would happen at that point. That's what Paul's talking about in verses 6 to 8. Notice the number of times that the word hope comes up in these verses. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. Resurrection hope can be traced back in the Old Testament scriptures. Verse 7, this is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. Resurrection hope is what we're striving for. In fact, Pharisees believe that if the Jewish nation lived holy and righteous lives, then this would usher in the new age. It would make it come. That's why there were such strict rules uh, that the Pharisees had. They had tight rules. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? So if resurrection hope is mainstream Jewish belief, why has Paul been accused and put on trial? Is it incredible that God raises the dead? Well, no, it's not. But again, this resurrection will happen at the end of time. What is incredible is that Christians are claiming that Jesus has risen from the dead, but not at the end of time, but right in the middle of history. Now, Paul originally opposed this idea and persecuted Christians. That's what he goes on to describe in verses 9 to 11. He thought this belief was blasphemous and dangerous. How ridiculous to claim that 
one man, Jesus Christ, had been raised from the dead. Paul hoped in the resurrection, but the resurrection of all people at the end of time. So let's just pause there and apply this. The claim that Jesus has risen from the dead means that the world has changed. This great hope of God's new age, of the kingdom of God coming, has happened. But it hasn't come at the end of time, but rather the future has broken into the present. That's an amazing reality that Christians believe and celebrate. With the resurrection of Jesus, everything is different. And there's a radical new way to live, living for the future in the present, living the life of heaven and the new creation now, living the resurrection life of Jesus now, even as we wait for his return and its fullness. So Paul believed in the resurrection at the end of time, and he believed that Christians were blasphemously wrong in their claim that Jesus was risen. So what changed for Paul? Well, he met the risen Jesus. This is the third time in the book of Acts that this encounter has been described. They're similar to each other, but with different emphases. As Paul was heading to Damascus to imprison more Christians, he encounters a bright light. And then a voice from heaven says in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now notice those words. Why are you persecuting me? Paul asks, who are you, Lord? And he's told, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. There's a couple of things here. Firstly, you can't persecute a dead person. Secondly, Paul hasn't been persecuting Jesus. He's been persecuting Christians. But here's the rub. When people attack, kill or ridicule Christians, they're doing it to Jesus. Christians belong to Jesus. We are the body of Christ. We are in Christ. And so what is done to us, Jesus says, is done to him. Now just pause there. When someone mocks you for your faith at school or at work, when someone discriminates against you for your belief in Jesus, when Christians are imprisoned or killed in Afghanistan, North Korea, Iran or China, it's Jesus that they're doing this to at the very same time. Now there's an encouragement in that. Even in the midst of this suffering, Jesus is so connected with his followers that as we suffer, he suffers. But this persecution and ridicule will not last. Jesus says to Paul, why do you kick against the goads? It's a strange saying. The image here is of a cow pushing back, kicking back against a cow prod. The harder you fight, the worse it'll be, Jesus is saying to Paul. 
Why are you trying to fight against me? That's futile and stupid. You will not win. Why not? Well, because Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead and that marks him out as the king of the universe. Paul's been wrong about Jesus and this is the moment when that all changes. We often speak of this event event as Paul's conversion. Is that the right word though? I mean, Paul is not so much changing religions from Judaism to Christianity. Rather, he's realising in this moment that Jesus is the fulfilment of God's promises to Israel. He's the Messiah, the King that has been promised. As weird and as crazy as it sounds that someone would rise from the dead in the middle of history, it has happened. So everything must now change for Paul as his life becomes centred on the risen Jesus. And the focus here will be on the mission that Jesus is calling Paul to. See, Paul's mission now is to share the resurrection of Jesus with others. Jesus has appeared to Paul in order to appoint him as his servant. Uh, Jesus will rescue Paul when people oppose his mission. And Jesus is sending Paul with a mission to share his good news with others. That's powerfully described in verse 18. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. People are are blind to the reality that Jesus is risen from the dead and they need Jesus to open their eyes to see. Coming to Jesus involves a radical change, moving from darkness to light and from being under the power of Satan to being under the rule of God. It's a pretty offensive thing to say, don't you think? That apart from Jesus, people are blind, in darkness and under Satan's power. But these are the words of Jesus himself here and they're backed up by other passages in the Bible. All of us have turned away from God, the God who made us, who loves us, and who wants to relate to us. None of us rightly acknowledge his rule and live under it consistently. We need forgiveness of sins. We need to be cleansed and made holy. And the only way that this happens Jesus says in verse 18, is by faith in me. Again, if Jesus is risen from the dead, then he is marked out as the king that God has promised the world. It means that his death on the cross is effective for dealing with sin. It means that he is the way to a relationship with God and the only way to a relationship with God. He's God's appointed person to open eyes that are blinded to his truth, to bring us from the darkness of sin into the light of God's presence, 
to rescue us from the power of Satan and to bring us under God's loving rule. Jesus says to Paul, I'm sending you with this mission to declare these wonderful truths, to proclaim my good news. And so what else could Paul do but obey? He tells King Agrippa that he hasn't been disobedient to this calling, but starting where he was in Damascus and moving to Jerusalem, Judea and to the Gentiles, he shares this good news and he calls people to repent, to turn back to God. That's why I'm here, he says. That's why they arrested me. That's why they tried to kill me for sharing the good news about Jesus. Verse 23, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Now, you and I haven't had an encounter with Jesus in quite the same way that Paul did. And we haven't been given the same commission as he was as an apostle. But we still have a responsibility to share this good news with others. This is radically good news. If it's true that people are blind, in darkness, and under Satan's power, if it's true that Jesus is risen from the dead and he's marked out as God's sole answer to this dilemma, if it is through faith in Jesus and only through faith in Jesus that God opens blind eyes, brings people into his light, brings people under his good rule, forgives their sins and makes them, makes them uh, one of his perfectly purified people, then shouldn't we tell people about it? It's radically good news that people need to hear and respond to. We're not responsible for the response, but we have been entrusted with the good news to be shared. Will you share it? As we've seen, Paul gets an immediate response to his sharing of the good news here. The governor, Festus, interrupts him. You're out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. This is crazy talk. Someone risen from the dead? Impossible. Your friends and family might think the same too. But Paul insists that what he's saying is true and reasonable. Verse 25. The claim that Jesus has risen from the dead is reasonable because it's backed by evidence. Paul says that this hasn't happened in a corner. Agrippa knows that people have been witnesses to the risen Jesus and are telling others about it. It can be investigated and tested as a real historical event. And it's happened in fulfilment of what was promised by the prophets. It was predicted. It lines up with the Jewish scriptures. And it's true because it has the power to transform a person's life. Paul himself is living proof of that as he stands before the court. Right? He shared his own testimony of his transformed life. And it's changed for the better too. When Paul directly challenges Agrippa about whether he believes the prophets, Agrippa tries to deflect the challenge, 
Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replies, whether it's a short time or a long time, I pray that you and everyone may become as I am. Well, except for these chains. See, Paul loves what Jesus has done for him, and he wishes that everyone would experience it too. See, when you know that something is good, of course you want that good for other people. See, the message of the risen Jesus is true. It's true experientially, uh, true in a way that radically transforms lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, can you speak with confidence of the change that Jesus has brought in your life? It may not have been a lightning bolt experience which suddenly changed you, but rather speaking of the way that Jesus has sustained you through difficult times, that that Jesus gives you purpose and direction in your life, that Jesus has slowly changed bad habits and selfishness, that Jesus gives you hope even in the face of death. If you've experienced the truth of the risen Jesus, uh, the risen Jesus who knows you and is known to you personally, experientially, please be ready and willing to share that reality with others that they may know him too. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, why not chat today to someone who is? Ask them of their personal experience of the truth of the risen Jesus. Or take the time to look at the reasonableness of the resurrection of Jesus, which can be tested. It's not just a fanciful wish. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It changed Paul. It's changed the whole sweep of human history. And it changes people still today. Many of us have found that what sounds crazy is true. And it's wonderful. And it's life-giving. And we'd love others to know this for themselves too. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.